Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. We're going to talk about... What's his name? Bobby. He's talking yeah, again. Manager's Asian Dub Foundation. Did you Foundation. actually use the S, the F? No, I didn't, because Shirley Collins, who I adore, was... I, could, yeah, well, I, I, I thought it was bad recording. I thought it was poor, actually, because I think mm. if I'd been Shirley Collins, I would have had a little word. Tell you one thing you'd like about Shirley Collins' kids. Her, her eldest daughter not, um, wrote a biography of uh, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown. Um, Shirley Collins' elder daughter wrote a biography of the crazy world of the Arthur Brown. The yeah. information you get in the word podcast. You see, I didn't know that, Dave. And Shirley you? went for a few cups of tea with him um, in, in um, Lewis, because he used to live in Lewis. I think he still lives in Lewis. Did he sit in there having a cup of tea? Did he used to boil the kettle for the tea on the, bra- <laughs> on on top the of his brazier <laughs> that was presumably on top of his head? You see, Arthur, Arthur Brown, Brown Arthur at lunchtime, Brown. to hear people come in and put stuff in a microwave. Oh, no, Arthur would just get his lasagna for one. Stick it on top of his head, wouldn't he? <laughs> He'd be great on a camping trip. <laughs> He'd be I'm saying, no, a rock concert, Arthur Brown, you know. no carbon footprint, Arthur no, Brown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no problem at yeah, all. Yeah, when the muscular ballad comes on in the Bon Jovi cell, Arthur just fires up the headpiece, just waves his head from side to side. Nobody else bothers to get a cigarette lighter out. Oh, oh good. Reading from nice. left to right in the word podcast this week. <laughs> Not from left to right, actually. Jude Rogers. Hello. Very exciting to have <laughs> nice Jude Nice to Rogers see you back, Jude. Uh, Mark Ellen. Are you from Wales, Jude? I am from Wales. Oh, you are? Right? Okay. Matt, from Matt Wales. Hall. I thought she was from Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> and also, in the corner, too far away for the microphone to pick him up, is Rex. Now, Hello. Rex, unlike most of the listeners to this podcast, who carp endlessly about the quality of the sound, Rex doesn't sit at home and complain, does he? Rex comes in with all his equipment to help us sort it out. Is that yeah, right? He does. Well, there he is. So, so if it isn't any better, I thought a part of the I should publish the Rex. The people making pub- the sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what you were going to say. That's Re- what Rex, had, Rex had come to take me away or whatever. You know? I should publish Rex's, you know, personal details. If the sound's not better, you'll be able to go around go to, his around to Rex's house and sort it and out with him. Take it out on him. Yeah. So, Jude, extraordinary things have happened since you left the uh, the the. Whatever. The next. Word Towers. Word Towers. Oh, nice to be back. Wales have won the Grand Slam. I know. I was very sad I wasn't here on the Monday after <laughs> that day. And the best comedy programme on the television is, is a high, high Welsh, it um, is. you know, Gavin and Stacey. It is. And, uh, you know, because I can't... And, t- excuse me. What happened in the uh, semi-final of the... Oh, well, we have a Welsh side in the FA Cup final. I know, but I'm from Swansea, so... And then they're still arguing about if they win, whether they'll go into Europe, aren't they? They won't. I thought there was some special dispensation or something like that. <laughs> Why is it all moving Wales' way, well, David? It's our, time. it's our time, Mark. 
It is. Time has As come. As Deep Leonard's iceberg <laughs> reformed. Well. It's only a matter of time. So Gavin and Stacey. Yes. Which is just, it's, it's the best thing I've seen on television in It's years. fantastic. Did you it? see the first series? I've only just caught I did, yeah. Uh, I did. did you used to tell me about it and tell me how good it was um, and I used no, to totally I ignore you? I saw it quite, I, I started seeing it kind of um, mid-series and then a couple of months ago they showed the whole of the first series on One Night on BBC Two. And I watched it from beginning to end with a bottle of wine. And uh, my boyfriend, who's, um, who is also, he's from Essex. Oh, wait, oh so No, not... actually, Dan, sorry, love, you're not from Essex. Um, your mother lives but in Essex. But he's a southerner. But he's a southerner. And southerner I'm from Swansea, and a Welsh girl. So, so it's like Stansted and Swansea against uh, Barry and Billericay. It's which absolutely is brilliant. Why is this, I haven't seen this. Rob oh, it's a very it. simple... It, I mean, yes. I, I, the right. shorthand I use for, it, for it, Gavin and Stacey is it's the likely lads of our days. Oh, that's good. Okay? It's a kind of standard, your mother could watch it. Yeah. Yes. My mother does watch um, it. Yeah. Situation <laughs> yeah. comedy with romantic overtones. It's about Gavin from Essex and Stacey from Barry Island. Yes. Uh, and about how they meet and get married and, and bring together their strange, diverse families and so forth. And actually, the star turn in Gavin and Stacey is Rob Brydon, oh, he who is, is my nomination for the funniest man in the world. He is. Ever. Absolutely brilliant. Have you have you interviewed him? I have. Well, yeah. I've met, now, I I, met Rob, Br him met Rob Brydon at a party. We should get him on this podcast because he... Does the greatest impersonation of Bruce Springsteen? He's brilliant. He's <laughs> absolutely well, brilliant. Which I can't even begin to do, which is ridiculous. Instead of trying to impersonate, <laughs> the impersonating somebody else, but it's that great sort of wheezing laugh. Absolutely. Because what, what do you realise is the secret to doing impressions of Bruce Springsteen is to bring in the kind of dog element in Bruce Springsteen, which is that kind of <laughs> it's sort of muckly. You know, it's yeah, muckly from the wacky it's races. Muckly. Absolutely. <laughs> and he also shares a physical feature with Bruce Springsteen. Which is what, Jude? A kind of funny chin. Yes. A big chin? Yeah. An enormous, He's got a big chin. chin. <laughs> He's got the Darren Anderton chin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. He's got the chin that got Ian Stewart Down thrown out of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yes, it is. It's it's right. Eventually. Your face doesn't fit. Your That's face it. doesn't yeah. fit, literally. Yeah, it's it. Eventually, <laughs> it comes in handy. So, Gavin and Stacey, which is immediately followed last night by Pulling. Have you seen Pulling? Yeah. Pulling is possibly the rudest thing I've ever seen on my life on the television. Is that, is that my exaggeration? Is it a reality? Reality? I saw, no, I've, never, I, I've seen very five minutes good. of it. Oh, is it? It's very good. But, but the title dear probably God, off. it is rude. Is it reality? TV? Well, it's no kind of reality I want anything to do with. You know, the, the, the What key... happens on this programme? Okay, for those of us lucky the... enough not to have seen it. One of the key <laughs> jokes, two, two key jokes in last night's episode involves uh, one killing a cat with a brick, okay? That's not nice. The, the other one. True life, David. The, no, <laughs> no, no, no animals were hurt, no hurt. during the uh, oh, filming of that programme. The other one uh, was uh, how the trade in a cafe fell off somewhat when they got an artist who, who put an exhibition of turds on the walls. Aww. So I'm saying I watched, you know, Terry and June for many years, you know, Seven and Son. I never saw any of those themes, did you? No, Dev, I'm hoping you're noticing the look of slack jaws. <laughs> But you have sat at home there with a glass of wine and enjoyed this. Uh, there wasn't a I glass know, of wine. I know, it doesn't sound very day. It, it's a BBC... It doesn't sound very day. It's no. a BBC iPlayer thing, actually. Oh, right. You know, because it's, it's sort of best watched on your own, that kind of thing. Follow Does it have the in. same kind of mixture of, you know, sweetness and... There's no sweetness. Oh, OK. Because no I like sweetness. That's why I think Gavin and Stacey really works. Because oh, there's, it's not like a lot of modern comedy... Like extras or anything of the Ricky Gervais stable, which is very, um, you're, just, you're just waiting for the embarrassing thing to happen. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. have that, which is actually really nice and really refreshing. Relax. But also, it has very sharp 
silly jokes. Um, Nessa, who is my spiritual heroine now, who is um, Ruth Jones, um, who was Mavanri in Little Britain. She's she plays Nessa. She's the barmaid. Yeah, barmaid in Little Britain. She plays a very buxom um, woman with a kind of a bowl kind of bob. Um, has a massive tattoo of a uh, Welsh dragon on her arm. And an HGV license. An HGV <laughs> license. <laughs> she does. And kind of girl. Right. the best thing about it, the, the HGV license is what I was going to bring up because her handle, her um, CB radio handle, yeah, yeah. is a Robert Mugabe, which I think is really funny. <laughs> Bit too late to change that. Yeah. <laughs> she could go for Max Mosley instead. Yeah. <laughs> he's slightly less popular. Oh, she's very, very, very popular. Talking of TV, though, David, I had to do something uh, on. Uh, walking through Soho on uh, Friday afternoon when I saw oh, somebody yeah. sat outside the cafe. <laughs> I had to go up to them and interrupt like their conversation and say, you are Tommy Carchetti from the world. No! Can I, can I shake your hand, sir? Really? Uh, first time in my life ever. I so the man who plays the mayor, yeah. uh, not giving anything away, on, on the wire, was sitting outside a pub in Soho. A cafe. A cafe. Yeah. On Friday afternoon. Yeah. And he looked slightly surprised. That anybody recognised him? Well, he has been in kind of in loads of other stuff, and he's in the West End at the moment, I think. Um, he was in Queer as Folk. Yeah, you didn't recognise him from that, Matt? No. <laughs> I, I could have done. I watched that. You could have done. Um, but it was that specifically I said, thank you for the word, and uh, for the why. I've got to and, say, um, he yeah. would have been puzzled if you said thank you for the word. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Yeah. Well, he's in town. So anyway, yesterday, the big TV event of yesterday which fell into the lap of the editor of BBC News 24 and Sky News, all those people who have to run rolling news channels and wonder what the hell they're <laughs> going to fill them with on, on, on Saturday, is, is the Olympic torch ah. relay. Well, more Wait. specifically, Connie Huck. Sure. <laughs> I was waiting We've got to talk about it. work from Huck. Is Connie Huck going to be the only Blue Peter presenter to escape alive from, you know, Blue Peter in, and to trade it into some kind of proper grown-up broadcasting career. I hope so. I think she's really, she's really, really good. good. But so there have been loads of really good people on Blue <laughs> Peter in the past, but they never made the jump. And I just thought when she was, you know, surrounded by tracksuit-wearing, you know, Chinese Stasi or whatever they were, you know, and somebody was trying to grab the, grab the strange cornet with the petrol flame out of her arm, I thought, this is your moment, Connie Huck. You've, you've arrived here. You're part of the, you know, part of the nation's, uh, you know, cavalcade, and now forevermore. Do you Actually, think that's true? I, I thought she was absolutely fantastic. Actually, I haven't said that. I haven't, I haven't seen the bit of footage, but my son, <laughs> oh, my son, that's so no, much. I've been away, away over the weekend. My son, <laughs> Rob Ellen, was uh, was demonstrating uh, at the at the event. He said it was absolutely fantastic. He loves a bit of a rumble, you know. <laughs> And was very pro-Tibetan, obviously. on behalf of the Chinese. Oh, there were, there there were people doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're kidding. Most well, not surprising. I suppose so. I don't know across most my mind. Of, most of them were the afternoon well, from the Chinese embassy. Well, I think that was it, yes, uh, on a three-line whip, I think. Now, what I loved is the picture of the paper this morning, those guys in the matching tracksuits, which uh, who were the guys you're talking about, presumably, right? And nobody quite knew who they were. They were masquerading as athletes, but they were basically bodyguards to look after Huck, Another torchbearers. My question to you, by the way, at a tangent, is what happens to the torch on the aeroplane? They are got to turn it off. No, no, you no, can't no. keep a torch alight on the aeroplane. They have a special little lantern thing that they put it in. No. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. I thought the moment they get on and snap it off, you know, no smoking, you can't have a no smoking, no Olympic torches, you'd think, <laughs> you think, Did you see this? There was a story about a guy when, when this happened in, uh, when they did the, the um, same th sort of thing in Canada. Uh, one of the recent Olympics, yeah. the torch was blown out, and some quick-thinking Canadian Olympic official whipped out his bit and relit it, <laughs> and it was actually extinguished. The, the Olympic people put it out, 
and you've got to light it from the original flame. They always carry oh, two. Oh, goodness. It's, no. like the, it's like the, the president and the... Um, and oh, the my God. They never travel in the same plane. The key the detail plane. that you mustn't forget is who invented the torch relay? Uh, Arthur Brown? I was going to say, no. Arthur Brown. <laughs> That's been a, I've been waiting with that joke for about two minutes. Arthur <laughs> Brown's one suggestion. OK, we've got any more? Yeah. Adolf Hitler. Did he really? It was only introduced That's in 1936. Was that 36? Yeah. 36 games in Berlin? Went through Poland, Austria. Yeah, all places he was planning <laughs> yeah. to go later. No demonstrations oh. at all. No, 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 no yeah. problem with demonstrations. Absolutely. So actually, I think, seriously, I think they should stop it. I think they should get rid of it. Like they should get rid of all massive theatrical preambles for all sporting events the world over. Because we don't need them. They're all tacked on by marketing men and TV nutters well, they to try and make something that... to disappointment. That's, well, they do. They can't possibly lead up to kitsch, build up to whatever it is you're they're expecting. They're horrible. I mean, who is Aww, it that looks at the World now? Cup final? <laughs> who is it that looks at the World Cup final? You know, God knows how many people watch the World Cup final. 600 million. Make way more than that. Who is it looks at it and thinks, do you know what this needs? A firework display. Firework Do you know what this needs? And then a Welsh John Bon Jovi. Yeah, you know what right. Do you know what this needs? This needs, you know, a stage building in the Charlotte middle of the, the place with, <laughs> with, a, with the sponsor's banner yeah. at the back. Land of my father's. Yeah. Land of my father's. David Beckham. And a, David Beckham singing, you know, small God, children are coming into the great redeemer. Nobody wants that. Don't want any of that. We'll stop all that. Small children being, you know, led into the arena. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, even worse. Yeah. You know, I don't want any of that. I think we should just go back. Just slow the whistle. Get on with the game, Dave. Well, yeah. no, no, no. You need a bit well, of, a, a, pie you bit of drama. <laughs> and a pie. <laughs> and a pie. <laughs> but seriously, I'm a serious band. point. Yeah. I'm a serious point. You used to watch the cup final on the television. I'm going to keep going on this point. Go on, go on, go on, go you used to watch the, the cup final. And when the teams came out, do you know what they did? They shut the hell up and let the noise mm. of the crowd do the I'll job. Tell you what I really now they just talk and talk and talk, yeah. just like I'm doing. I'll tell you what I really hate is when um, somebody scores a goal and a piece of music comes on. Oh. I know, it's like, you have song two usually, it's like, woo yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I, and I also hate, as a Welsh now. rugby fan, um, before the game, getting um, a Charlotte Church or a Catherine Jenkins on to sing it, because what you want is a male voice choir. Oh, My dad and brother have sang on the, the, the what is it now, Millennium Stadium pitch. But um, they were drowned out by some gobshites. I Score a goal, which obviously <laughs> indicates you don't get to hear this bit of music very often. But you hear uh, Papa's got a brand new pig oh, bag by pig bag. <laughs> I think that's quite good. Yeah, well, that's got to make a lot of money. From the thing, the thing that really annoys me, Dave, is that long tracking shot of the guys queued up. You know, we see all the football players about to start, and they have the close up to see a whether they're singing and b whether they're crying. Oh, we've had, in fact, there's a piece about this in the current edition of Word magazine. Dave, look at this brilliant segue out yeah. on Thursday. <laughs> Andrew College. <laughs> where, where do I get that from? Yeah, yes, and all good news agents <laughs> and probably by subscription. Uh, <laughs> hurry, hurry. Hurry, hurry. hurry. <laughs> no, Andrew Collins has written a, a wonderful piece, uh, basically, which is, as men are now expected to cry all the time, if you don't cry at the drop of a hat, then you're obviously not in touch with you. You're your an unfeeling bastard. You're an unfeeling bastard. It means you, yeah, exactly, hate everything. Yeah. And so what he says, he says quite rightly, if you're meant to cry all the time, what happens when something sad happens? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's right. quite hard. If something genuinely sad happens, I mean, you're meant to be crying anyway, aren't you? Just a matter of course, putting your, putting your boots on before you get on the pitch in a week, aren't you? But if something sad happens, it's quite difficult. No, it's true. Anyway, uh, we've been discussing various things on the Word website this week, wordmagazine.co.uk, and I'm glad we've got Jude in here to bat for them, 
for, you know, for, for some particular <laughs> issues. Actually, before we go any further, have you seen this about Lily Allen pulling out the Orange, yeah. the orange Prize for Literature yes. panel? Yeah. Because she's too busy. Yeah. Every time wrong, Lily, no, she's, she's not well. She's not well. No, Lily Allen. She's not well. Think and every time I turn on the television, she's there. Yeah, when the announcement was made originally that she was doing it, I thought, actually, it's quite a good idea. She's, she's very bright. You know, she doesn't necessarily always come but across as the brightest person books? ever. Pop she star probably, read books? Probably uh, does read books. She, she's of all the kind of... I've interviewed a lot of those younger ladies of uh, pop. <laughs> ladies um, of pop. And they are very bright, actually. Yeah, but do they read books? I don't know if they read books, though. You see, they're too busy with career. I, I, you know, my, my She's falling out of the ivy most of the time, isn't she? Uh, you, you, it's too much excitement. And I'm a fan of hers, I've got to say. Next time you go and interview Adele or whoever, you have a little checklist and say, right, before we start, <laughs> to the lighthouse. Ulysses. Favorite passage. Ulysses. Exactly. Opening line. Opening line. It's the first line of Thomas Hardy's, you know, whatever. So, Jude, you have thirty seconds to defend the notion of having in this day and age a prize for women's literature starting now. most of the shortlists are full of men. Also I think I think is very difficult. Um, in terms of a women's prize for literature, I think, I think it's, it is weird these days because um, more women buy books, more women write more books. More women write books. Yeah. More women publish but, but it's the only field that that is true. I know script writers, I've read this recently, only 7% of script writers are female. Um, uh-huh. Which, you know, it's not... But I think... <laughs> I think in literature that is the one kind of area that things are going, you know, in the way of uh, female writers, to be honest. But um, I still think it's good for young female writers. There's probably more more deserving um, areas of uh, art. Yes. The arts. Okay, well, there you go. Sorry, I didn't defend that. No, no, she did okay, she did okay. Girls, stop writing books. Um, We were talking last week on the podcast about the legend that we we felt we could refer to only by, by the word cribbins. Oh, oh, oh Cribbins. Yeah. Did you see him on Saturday? On well, Saturday you see, that, I, so he's still alive. I right? really, yeah, when we plucked Bernard Cribbins from the, the, you know, the, 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 the kind of fluff underneath the mental bed that Mark Allen sleeps in, you know, <laughs> you know, we stuck a hand down the back <laughs> of the. St- really that is horrible. I couldn't see where that was going. He's sleeping with Cribbins. That's absolutely brilliant. Cribbins is under my bed. We shoved our hand down the back of the mental sofa that is Mark Ellen, and and we found a threepenny bit, an old stamp, you know, uh, a fur-covered boiled sweet, twenty best a Bernard Cribbins, (laughs) Bernard Cribbins, live unkicking. We just thought Bernard Cribbins. There's a kind of camp echo from the past, didn't we? And we sang a little bit. We sang a bit of. uh, There was I digging a hole. No, yeah, Hole in the ground, so yeah. big and sore around it was. What's he only got to have done there? Really? Well, it's only then that I realised when somebody got in touch by the website, yeah. he's on Doctor Who. Yeah, well, he's been on Doctor Who twice. Because he was on the original or something. I was listening to the podcast last week. I was back in Wales and I shouted at the computer. I was listening to the podcast. He's been on Doctor Who. Because he had a cameo in the Christmas Doctor Who with Kylie in it. He was one of the oh, mates on the, whatever they was called, that kind of spaceship. That was, it was called the Titanic. The Christmas story. He's yeah. on everything. And how now, old is he? Go on. How old is he? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I looked him up. He's going to be really young, right? No, he's 80 this year. Oh, right. Good, good, good. Yeah. Man. So, you know, it's a fair old innings. No, oh, okay. But, you know, still working. That's, yeah. that's good. He, he looks on. very bright. What else is he on? Um, he's, he's in the new Doctor Who, and he's um, Catherine Tate, who's the new um, Doctor Who assistant. Um, it's Catherine Tate's granddad. I think it was his granddad. 
and um, he was fantastic. Really, just he lights so up the screen. Two other funny. claims to fame, Bernard Crimmins. Two other reasons why Bernard Crimmins is part of uh, the map of our times. Yeah. One, he plays the hotel inspector in Faulty Towers. He does. Does he? Two, he is the that. voice of which legendary children's TV program? Um. I'm going to tell you, because it's going to be really boring if I don't tell you. It's the Wombles. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, he's the voice of the Wombles. So just going back to the Hotel so Inspector, he's the one who, he thinks he's, he complains about spoons, isn't he? Is that the one? Yeah. Oh, he's in he's the, the Hotel Inspector. He's yeah. not the Hotel Inspector. He's, he's, he's in, the yes. other guy. He's the guy that yes. thinks. Cleese thinks Cleese. he's, and then yeah, when he's, he's actually there it's to look at cutlery. It's just, sorry, very pedantic point. Pedant's corner. I like the fact that je- Mark is gesturing with a Perrier bottle. A Perrier it? bottle. I come very from W4, classic. you see. <laughs> and I know all my Doctor Who information, incidentally, from Andrew Harrison well, in the office. office. You can't <laughs> escape from it. No, because I, I don't like Doctor Who very much. And so oh. when he talks about Doctor Who, I tend to sit there with my fingers in my ears. And Tenen. he does exactly the same when I talk about Bob Dylan. He, he literally, no, I can't hear. He starts whistling with his finger in his ear. Do you remember when David Tennant called me in the office? Oh, last did, year? Yeah, did. And um, I was so very excited. I'd already met him because I did wrote this piece about the Proclaimers last year. Um, David Tennant being a Proclaimers super fan, I had sat next to him for 45 minutes with his left thigh pressed against my right thigh. Good God, I didn't see any of the performance. I was just that, oh, that, that sounds even to me. Actually, and then oh, he's he's very lovely. Yeah, he is. And then he called up um, the office to for a quote. He, I wanted a quote from him about the Proclaimers, and um, for about half an hour, every time my phone rang. Um, Andrew Harrison would go, and when he eventually called, I was bright red. Rob was kind of dancing in front of me, trying to put me off. That kind oh, of thing. It's but, too uh, exciting for words. It's re- the new series, the first it's one on Sunday, Saturday, yeah. was very good. Oh, well, good. I'm sure it is. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's Doctor very good. You would like life. it, Dave. No, I don't think I would. There's no, no, no. I, I don't even intend to bother with Doctor Who. That's what you said about Gavin Stacey. Yeah, but you see, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, another strand going on on the website is its trilogies of albums. Now, this is quite interesting. The point, many people have pointed out, somebody pointed out, I can't remember, Bingham, who was the first one to point it out, is that the albums naturally tend to fall into trilogies. That generally speaking, when an artist has a hot streak, they make three albums. Oh, right, yes. So, yes. you know, yeah. John Martin, Bless the Weather, Solid Air and Inside Out. Yeah. Bob Dylan, Bringing It All Back Home, Highway 61, Revisited, Blonde on Blonde. Al Green, Call Me, Let's Stay Together, I'm Still In Love With You. Miles Davis, Porgy and Best, Kind of Blue, Sketches of Spain, mm. and so forth. And then loads of other people mm. piled in with, with, you know, suggestions that fall in with that. And I think it's really true, because it also ties in with a theory that I've been touting around for years, even though it's not mine. <laughs> right. Theory invented... It's invented by an American writer <laughs> called Louis Menand. Have you heard of this? Which is the three-year rule of show business. Oh, and he yeah, says yeah, that in show business, he wrote a feature in the New Yorker many years ago, uh, that in show business, you may have a career that actually goes on for 20, 25 years, but really... The golden patch. Yeah. The golden patch is three years. Yeah. You don't have any longer than that. True unless you're the Beatles. Yeah. Yes. Because... Beatles had three lots of three years. <laughs> two lots of three years. Right. Two lots of three years. Three. But it, well, okay. But they didn't go over whatever. Um, but, but, but basically what he says is, you know, if you're kind of, I don't know, a movie star, Tom Hanks, or a, or a recording artist or whatever, you can only maintain your creativity for quite a short period of time, yep. which is probably three years. And at the same time, the public gets bored with you yep. once you've been going more than three years. So you can hang around endlessly but your golden period is only three years. Kinks are the best example of this ever. 
Oh, no. 64 to 67. Was it 17? Absolutely, monumentally, almighty, fantastic mm. records. And how many sins? And, Dave, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I could count the number on the fingers of one appallingly mutilated hand, I think. From my uh, time period, I'm thinking of Oasis as well, obviously. 94 to 97, probably. Doesn't last any longer. No. no. Doesn't go on and on and on. I'm terrible. I mean, you look at the Beach Boys. <laughs> My favourite example of the Beach Boys, you know, God knows Brian Wilson has been sort of touting himself around since 1962, whatever, to right now. But you look at the period during which, and I know that Beach Boys fans get very upset about this kind of thing, you really look at the period of creativity. It's not even three years. Beach Boys played the uh, Hammersmith uh, Apollo, I think it was, on, <clears throat> on Thursday night, and two of my old pals from college went, and they kept ringing me up. I don't know if anyone listening ever gets this. You know, if somebody goes to a concert and they ring you up, and all you can hear is the sound of good vibrations <laughs> in the background. It's incredibly dry. That's just all quite annoying. Because <laughs> what can you do? You know what I mean? You can't talk to them. You're just, Ma, well, listen to this. You know, I have heard good vibrations many times. Sorry, it annoys me, Dave. Oh, well, I'll get the <laughs> and I feel better now. Well, this is something that we touched on, you know, what was it, uh, last week that we had uh, James Med when we were talking about live shows? Was it last week, Med? Yeah. Uh, and his theory is that uh, loads of people in the last 10 years have started going to gigs, not to see the band, but because of the social occasion. Yeah, I think so. It's like yeah, going right, to yeah. a restaurant or going to a pub. Yeah, right. definitely. Which has never occurred to me That's right. before. So people take their social set with them mm. and, and relocate their evening socialising. And then talk all the way through it. To yeah. the Hammersmith Odeon. But getting, a, back to, getting back to um, three, and still as I've said, it is the magic <laughs> number. Because all, 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 all entertainment is based around threes. Oh, go on. Jokes, jokes are always oh, three. Oh, yes. always three. three. Absolutely true. Three Songs, three verses. Is that right? Yeah, mm, three choruses. Okay. Um, and as we all know, you have two of anything, and it's coincidence. Three, and it's a it's magazine pat- article. It's a magazine article. Exactly. <laughs> it's a pattern. It's a movement. Yeah. Oh, that's very good. I was just mm. wondering though, does it, does it work in movies? Well, they, t- they talk about three acts. They always talk well, about, when they talk about movies, Wars, they talk about, <laughs> no, they, writers Cheaters. of movies will always talk about three acts. That's how they design them. The first act is the setup. You're introduced to the characters, the place. The second act is, is where the, the kind of the conflict. And the third act is the resolution. And they write them in, yeah, in, right. in three parts. That's why they get a script sent back to them saying yeah. there's no second act or no third act or whatever. So, oh, good grief. That's got legs, Matt. So gigs become a social event. Uh, Patrick Crowther on the website said he actually stopped going to gigs because he's just driven mad by, uh, by, by the people that he's there with. Is that, is they that, just want to gossip. Is that Patrick who's Well, he should go with somebody different. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody <laughs> himself. No, <laughs> it's his own fault, Dave. <laughs> Patrick, don't come crying to us. Isn't it Patrick whose mates have actually bought him a, a ticket to Radiohead later this summer and he's debating whether or not oh, to go? Goodness. Oh, really? Yeah. Because he potentially thinks he's going to be so cross about yeah. the... About the people. Oh, I love it. Probably won't be like that with Radiohead. Will it? Unlikely. I would have thought Radiohead would be very earnest, um, hanging on every word, response, I would have thought. But hardly going to be people breaking open hampers, is it, and sort of splashing <laughs> a bit of shabbly around. Probably you want for a sausage? Not. Probably Scotch egg? Not. You don't want that, do you? But uh, it is it is amazing how this you know still brews up as. as uh, Sorry, I don't know why Scotch eggs are so funny. <laughs> they are, aren't they? What's funny about Scotch eggs? They just are. Well, they? a Scotch egg was generally, <laughs> <laughs> and they're so disgusting as well. Shall I tell you what? No, they're not. They're oh, not you're kidding. kidding! You like Scotch oh, eggs? I do they're like Scotch No, they're a meal in one. They're, they're a meal in one. Oh, they're horrible. Egg, sausage, and bread. Oh, they've always been there about a month, haven't they? As well. Arthur Brown used to break one. 
That was Bring flambe. Arthur's oh, flambe. Can you imagine the smell at your though. table? Oh. I think I'd there like is to have Arthur Brown's literally cup of flambe in cream and brandy, fine, <laughs> fine real steaks or something. That might be quite good, wouldn't it? What was the old uh, classic restaurant pudding? Oh, uh, creme brulee. No, no, with the, no, that you did at the table. Oh, the one well, creme brulee. Creme brulee. Creme brulee. Creme brulee. Tips in a bit of grand marmy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. And sing oh, right, with well, it does it. back, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to burn. <laughs> All right, Arthur, leave it. Come on, tablecloths on fire. Anyway, oh, <laughs> I tell you, shall I tell you why the Scotch egg? The Scotch egg is the most poignant form of food that there is. This I is love this podcast. Really In my experience. I've got a theory fun. about Scotch Shut eggs. up! Marcel Bruce <laughs> did not go into raptures. <laughs> he sank his teeth into a Scotch <laughs> egg. Great philosophers of our time, like De La Soul, never once mentioned Scotch egg. <laughs> long before, because I'm very old, I can say this, long before there was edible pub grub, you know, pubs were horrible kind of fake half-timbered places oh, yeah, that sell sticky, sugary Watney's Red Barrel, yeah. right? And if you, if you were in there long enough and you were hungry, you used to, your eyes would eventually alight on a plastic container yeah. at the end of the bar, which sat on a towel, right? Am I right? Yeah, go on. And under that container, there was always one lone... Scotch egg. Yes, and the yeah. question was, how many days had that Scotch egg been? Fighting for space. And the question was, it was it was the definition of how hungry you were. Yeah. If you were prepared to broach the Scotch yeah. egg, you were really hungry. Yeah, you had to be desperate. Yeah, it had to be absolutely you're taking desperate. your life in your hands. Actually, do they still have Scotch eggs in pubs? I still have them in the stripped pine gastro domes that we go in. Um, I know they have um, my local pub. Um, Makes some pork scratchings. They serve lovely gastro food. You go in there and it's all sort of seared yellowfin tuna, isn't it, with a medley of uh, seasonal vegetables? Two hundred. Is that one of Scotch egg? It's not good enough. (laughs) I went out drinking with with the word editorial posse on Friday night. Dave! And I was... Yeah, that's brilliant! <laughs> How did you get him to go out that's for a drink? absolutely brilliant! It was Fraser's How birthday. Was I didn't oh, go to that. It was Fraser's birthday, oh. and they dragged me to Filthy McNasty. Dave, did you have a pint of Guinness? I didn't, Maria but they the did. <laughs> I've rarely been so embarrassed in my drinking life. Yeah. They... Listen, I'm sorry about this, but, but the word... Do you know what they do, Jude? This yeah, coach, yeah I've seen, I've seen it. I've tried it. I don't like it. They all order a pint of Guinness... And then Kate Mossman takes along She's, oh, a half bottle of Tia Maria. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't even buy it in the pub. She doesn't buy it in the pub. Shh, don't tell him. She's produce- listening. <laughs> <laughs> she produces from under the table, okay, oh, in so a stupid. plastic bag. It's it is so, so stupid. It is beyond stupid. It is so stupid. Yeah. And then Apologies dispenses <laughs> dispenses a dash of said Tia Maria. Yeah. Into the into the Guinness, but and then they also bit go, oh, too much, too little. Yeah, let me have a bit of yours. Let me try yours. He's just passing it back and forth. Rob Fitzpatrick. I think, oh. pub, I think pubs are very grateful for your custom these days because the, the acid test the other night was I said to Seventies Mike, for God's sake, give Tia Maria Tia Maria under the table because the publican might see. He looks through the window and he sees this going on. People pouring there and knocks on the window. Thumbs up. <laughs> I tell you what, though, if the 70s, you would have been taken out, probably pelted with Scotch eggs, kicked into the gutter, and thrashed with an inch of your life by an angry, tattooed ruffian. That's the one pub in London glad to count Shane McGowan as one of its regulars. That's true. true. Try that that in a less uh, forgiving establishment. (laughs) Yeah, an all bar one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly.
Further things following up from last week. We were talking about Nina and Frederick briefly crossed oh, yeah, our yeah, crossed course, our radar yeah. last week. Thanks to James Med, mm. James Med's parents, a right. uh, record that they had in the house when he was growing up. Uh, and Nina is still alive, but Frederick was murdered in the Philippines in 1994. Oh my goodness! And had some connection with a drug syndicate. You see, so I started off singing, you know, folk songs. Life seems Dave so simple, doesn't it? On the surface. <laughs> But yeah, you have to scratch the aforementioned surface I've to discover a... Isn't that fantastic? I know. I've never heard of Nina and Frederick before. No, now. Yeah, yeah. Now you want to hear them. I do know, know now. I know. You know, and uh, aristocratic drug riddle is, is, is involved. My mum used to play uh, Ralph McTell. He didn't get involved with any of that business, did he? Ralph McTell, I think, quite a clean living chap, actually. Yeah. And also the world's nicest man. Really? Is he? Yeah, yeah, I met him several times. He's just oh, the nicest, my sweetest fellow. Him. Everyone loves him. <laughs> never fallen out with anyone, ever, Ralph McTell. Is that a bit boring? Probably. He's like Phil Collins. Oh, Bert Yanch had a 60th birthday party, and the only one of the old guard to turn up was Ralph, who obviously oh. doesn't fall out with people. Not a single well, all the member rest. of the tangle. Oh, really? The show, oh, Invited yeah. them. Yeah, on Didn't stage come. at the QE2, whatever it's called. QE2? What's it called? Yeah, Queen Elizabeth Hall. Yeah. QH, sorry. QH. QH. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I'm glad that. Well, Ralph, if you're listening, get in touch with words, because I would like um, you to speak to my mum on the phone. Yeah, that would be whole great. life. God. He could literally spend the rest of his life speaking to anybody's mum. Everybody's mum loves Ralph McTell. She's got some of his song lyrics on the fridge. No. She does. But stuck on the fridge? Stuck on the fridge, yeah. That is so she sweet. She loves him. Oh. Bless. I'm touched by it. <laughs> Talking She's of groups, no. getting back together and not speaking to each other. Have you seen this about Tom Petty? What's no. he done there? Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. What's gone and done? <laughs> like he's your son or something. Was yeah. he? Yes. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers emerged from a group who, strangely enough, didn't make it because they had the very catchy name of Mudcrutch. Oh, yeah, of course. Love he has reformed Mudcrutch, has he? He has reformed Mudcrutch to, to finish the first album that they started in about mm. 1972. Can you imagine that? That's very strange. I mean, what's, but do you think unfinished business is the new expression? I read an interview with uh, Steve Winwood, in, uh, formerly of The Blind Faith, as we know, in, um, in, in Rolling Stone. Mark Stone's does this know week. that Blind Faith and doesn't have a definite article. In really. The Blind Faith, I know, yeah. And uh, in Rolling Stone, and he said that he'd, he was touring with Eric Clapton because they felt they had unfinished business. So it's very interesting because Eric Clapton's reformed Cream, and I th- presumably. Oh, you think he's going to do everything? I, well, why not? John Mayall. You got to the point where, what? Absolutely, why not, Dave? Go, go. How many John? He, he's also only, only actually. John Mayall's still two alive. Members. John Mayall's still alive. Of, unless I'm trying to second, three of them are still alive. The guy who's never died. Gretch died. Gretch died in 1974. I'm pretty sure. The guy who played the fiddle and the bass, didn't he? So all the Cream are alive. Yeah. Uh, go back. John Mayall's Blues Breakers. Um, John Mayall. Huey Flint. Still alive? I was with John, John Mayall's McVie. son only on Friday night. Rockin' Gaz Mayall, yeah. who wears an outrageous coat with a great big fur collar and a sort of big Panama hat <laughs> and has a very attractive girl on both arms, Dave. Oh. What's he, and Why? Just because he <laughs> plays records. That's not fair. It's not clever, is it? He's just putting records on and the ladies around him like a wet towel, Dave. Oh, Where do we go wrong? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Radio Nowhere, you play all the right records, but not in the right order. Not in the right order, is what it is. Radio Nowhere by Bruce Springsteen, isn't it, Mark? Yeah. Is that right? That'd be Mark's, yeah, anyway. That's a radio podcast. Jude, did you see the thing on the website about why has indie rock not produced any rude records? No, I didn't. Uh, 
Strangely, I was talking about something very similar to this the other day. Go on. No, go on. No, I was lamenting um, in the office I'm working part-time with um, some other chaps. So we, uh, we, we had a day of listening to His and Hers by Pulp and uh, the first Smiths album. It was fantastic. And we realised those two records. Oh, and we listened to uh, Bell and Sebastian's If You're Feeling Sinister. All quite CD records. Very, you know, Jarvis Cocker's lyrics, incredibly CD. Very all CD about, anyway. You know, but CD is one thing. You see, no, they're very, very seedy. But saucy, well, saucy, carry on, saucy. Well, you see, where we started was we were sitting in the office. We were playing Big Joe Turner and so forth. You know, talking about the, you know, the Rabelaisian tradition of rhythm and blues. You know, where you, you know, used to regularly, you know, liken yourself to a one-eyed cat peeking in a seafood store. Big Joe Turner's great line is that I'm like a Mississippi bullfrog sitting on a hollow stump. I've got, I've got so, so many, many women, women I don't know which way, which way to, way to jump. jump. Now, I don't know what it means, Dave, but uh, I suspect it's rude. <laughs> That's the point I'm making. Oh, we're even, remember that one collector to... record that um, Paul Denoy introduced the office um, by Lord Kitchener, Dr. Kitch. Oh, it was basically oh, yes. a four or five minute um, song all about um, trying to inject a young lady. That's right, that's right. But um, the punchline. Are you ready for your injection? Are you ready for your the punchline? Because we were, we were also talking on the site the other day about. <laughs> About Wet Dream by Max Romeo. Do you remember this? Oh, my God. So Wet Dream by Max Romeo was a big oh, God, chart yeah. hit in yeah, when? Yeah. Late 60s, yeah. something like that. And the refrain of Wet Dream, you might want to just dunk the jolt volume if you're driving Children, the kids to school, please. was Lie Down Girl, Let Me Push It Up. Okay? Yeah. And they brought over Max what to do promotion on this record. <laughs> and obviously they couldn't get him on top of the pops or anything like that because nobody <laughs> plays record. So, but the, I can actually remember Max being interviewed on the, the kind of precursor of Newsbeat. And he developed an explanation as to what this meant. Uh, and he said, he said, I won't attempt to do his, his patois. No. Or whatever. He said, <laughs> I was uh, in my house, you know, there was a leak in the ceiling. The rain was coming through. Therefore, it was very difficult sleeping. And if I did dream, it was obviously wet. <laughs> and, and so after a while, uh, we decided that we had to fix the hole in the ceiling. And my girlfriend decided she helped me, and she was going to go up to the room above, and she had to lie oh, down <laughs> while I somehow handed up the the, yeah. the ladder or or the plaster yeah. or whatever, you know. So, hence the. But did the hard hitting uh, newsbeat journalist so, right. so uh, and thanks for coming on the show? <laughs> or did they say, Max, it's about sexual intercourse? And you know it. No, well, they didn't they do didn't. that. They didn't do that. But anyway, <laughs> so just let us wonder why. Indie music had never come up with anything like that. because in, And the conclusion we came to is indie music is just too prissy. Yeah, well, kind of um, <laughs> indie music, of a, you know, kind of early indie music. Indie now is such a... It's still prissy and it's just a bit ridiculous, but kind of... Um, indie is sex-free, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, kind of, Almost especially, at, you know, mid-80s, uh, indie, indie the early Go indie. On, that's fighting talk, Mark. I mean, come on, yeah. stand I don't think it is fighting talk. I mean, I, I think it's true, because I was the editor of Select magazine in whenever it was. When did we have Select? 91, was it? Come on, 92? I don't know, I was the editor. I can remember thinking that... Oh, that's shoegazing time, groups, isn't it? It was shoegazing, <laughs> it was the Happy Mondays, it was um, the Soft Stone Roses, it was, what's that group called, uh, Miles Huntsman? Wonderstuff. Wonderstuff. <laughs> I mean, Wonderstuff, a classic example. They were kind of... Slightly middle-class university students, I think. You're going to butt in and tell me I'm wrong, but I can see, and you're probably right. But they, they were most... Go on. Mondays were very mucky. Oh, they were very mucky, yeah. Well, they were most... Was it Posing with paid girls. Or, I don't know. They were quite mucky, actually. But broadly, the rest of them yeah. seemed to be 
that it was very studenty. It was a very student, slightly, slightly apologetic. Painfully slightly shy people. Rather shy people, yeah. actually. Just bit, look, yeah, yeah, looking at the, the shoes <laughs> and feeling a bit embarrassed about fancying people. They so, were very overt. So, this is interesting. So, if, you know, rhythm and blues is traditionally about I haven't got enough money and I haven't got enough sex, yes? Yeah. And if kind of classic pop music is about I love her, she doesn't love me, you know yeah. what I mean? What's Max Indi- Romeo's what's about, India my about? Is broken and, yeah. What's India about? It's kind of the what's, Judy's going to tell us, having <laughs> listened to more indie than anybody else, she's going to tell us what indie is about. It's I love her and she doesn't love me and I've never got a chance in hell because I'm a bedwetter. <laughs> and, you know. <coughs> Basically. A lot of those, you look at any pictures of indie it's, bands from like is, I think 1985 till about, until Blue 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 It's all really unfair. My grand check all, hasn't come in. <laughs> and like, you know, somebody's, I put some cheese in the refrigerator last night with Mark's cheese written on it. And do you know what? Someone's eaten some of it without even asking me. And right. by the way, my favourite part in Ulysses is where. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. And, like, no girls fancy me, and I'm just wearing this ridiculous So, indie rock, I'm going to yeah. go further. Indie rock is. Purely uh, a manifestation of the extension of higher education. Probably, yes. I think the vast number of people who've been allowed to go to university will only be adding to the quality of groups uh, making this. Because you can't do a proper job and go, you know, you don't work down a coal mine all, all day. I know nobody does that anymore. But, you know, you don't work hard physically and then go home and go... I'm playing the rock. I'm going to pull on <laughs> pearly dewdrops drops, you know, by, you know, to kind of... You know, let the whole day go. You're not going to do that, are you, Jude? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Indy's a different thing now, you know. I've I've got a friend who's a very um, senior correspondent on uh, the Financial Times who uh, listens to, you know, Cocktail Twins all the time. I know, I'm I'm sure he does. Anyway, there is a a woman. (laughs) There is a woman who's written a book, which uh, uh, Fraser gave me the other day, uh, which is called something like Empire of Dirt. Have you heard about this? And she is uh, an academic from Southern California who who is billed as the first professor of indie and she has studied this as, as kind of as a, as behavior, rather than yeah. as music. And I'm going to try and get her in on the podcast. That's I think she's absolutely at the, at the professor of indie bit. <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. sorry, I'm I'm sold I'm on the whole idea. Professor of indie on the masthead of our magazine. Do you think? <laughs> right, professor of indie, Dorian Linsky or something. Dorian Linsky is probably a professor name. of indie. Yeah. Pro- yeah. He yeah. sounds like if you're going to have a professor, Linsky, he, he is the man. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so uh, before I get to an extraordinary story about James Brown, what have we got to plug? Uh, we got. If you want to suggest a, a slogan to go on the on the word T-shirt, go on oh, the word yeah, website wordmagazine.co.uk. OAP sound system and various. <laughs> Rob Fitzpatrick came up with a lovely one in the office the other day. The long and unwinding read. Yes, Aww. very good. Long winding read. So if you can suggest one, you never know, we might run up a few. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dave will get his uh, <laughs> signal the phone machine out. <laughs> yes. Can uh, I plug the new edition of Word? Of course you can. Is that all right? Is that on Thursday? What was that the Thursday the tenth? Well, this yeah, week, yeah. This, yeah. this week, yeah, and it's, it's terrific. That's all I've got to say, really. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a hard sell. Yeah, I'm, I'm, very I'm b- often mystified by Mark didn't go into advertising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you find out more about that on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk, and you join the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, just go on Facebook and look, Warhead Magazine. I know, I know, it's good, it's good. We want more, we're going for a thousand. We're going for a thousand. Some really good pictures on it of uh, people listening to it in different places. Yes, and also pictures of uh, very star guests actually performing in the pod. Jude's oh. brother cross. I can't look at any of this because I've cancelled my Facebook site. You see, I've, I've yeah, eradicated it. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite proud of it, Dave. Yeah, I've got like real friends. You know what I mean? We go out, we meet, physically meet in pubs, have a drink and a little chat. It's gone quiet, hasn't it? <laughs> it's gone a bit quiet. I just want you to quote from extraordinary thing I read this weekend in American GQ, which has got a big story about James Brown. Oh, I read this. Oh, yeah. Just count this the horror because we're. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Is that all right, yeah, yeah, um, and, and it starts off with the... Have you read this, Jude? I have, yeah. With the extraordinary complications of his of the arguments over his will and his bequests or bequests he didn't make or, you know, children he, he, he accepted and then children he didn't accept, whatever. Uh, and it's unbelievable that there can be that many lawyers have their snout into this particular trough. But the reason that James had so many children is this may come as a shock to you. He had sex an awful lot. Unlikely. <laughs> so what I'm going how many times a day does it tell you? <laughs> it's probably like JFK. You know, you got a headache if you didn't. You yeah, know, that's right. He used to he used to claim that it was you know he was going to be ill yeah. if, if women wouldn't sleep with him. That's JFK. Yeah. Not James Brown. Um, but James brought up in a whorehouse, you know, as they point out, in the, therefore his attitudes to to women were... <laughs> Not very indie rock. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly reconstructed. And, uh, and uh, you know, he had sex all the time. and But he didn't like to put any work into what we might broadly call foreplay. All right. Okay? So how did he deal with this? He used to get his assistants, <laughs> right? No! Dave! Dave! I, no. If you were on James's payroll, one of your jobs was... You know, it's a little bit like... It's a little bit like somebody's, you can't be bothered to start the car, you know, knock the ice off the windscreen, you know. <laughs> so you've got, you got somebody to go outside and start it. Oh, and you what kind of car, what kind of car do you have, a romantic day with us. And James, James would demand, you know, you say, is she ready? Is she ready? I haven't got any time. Make sure she's ready. And then with James would effectively like leaping on board a, a car that's already moving. Oh, that is unbelievable. And, and he said, I quote him for the piece here. I have to quote rather selectively in case anybody is taking anybody to school under the age of you know, yeah. 50. Um, <laughs> he said he, he, he'd hop on, roll off. Straight missionary, straight to the point. He never saw a reason for much else. I'm going to miss out the last bit. <laughs> Hell, the man was in his 60s. Now, now imagine, James Brown, one of these people who probably started doing it at the age of about Four. 10. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, but he was in his 60s <laughs> before he discovered doggy style on the Playboy channel. <laughs> oh, the idea that James was tuning into the Playboy channel. You know, kind of sexual tips. And he remembers a slow dive used to be. <laughs> I don't know, I'm going back to the indie thing again. And he called, he, called, <laughs> he called up Roosevelt Johnson, who's one of the guys who used to work from, for him, in, at three in the morning to tell him about it. He discovered <laughs> it. position's been invented. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's basically, his idea was, white men have been doing this for years. Why have we not been Why told? Has told me? That, was, that was his attitude. 
and, and, and the job of Roosevelt Johnson is <laughs> very good quote. He said, pretended to be surprised. He said, you had to go there with him because you didn't know anything Mr. Brown didn't know. Oh, my God. That goodness. was the job if you worked for James Brown. You never had to express, you know, everything oh was a surprise. God. Mark Allen is blushing now, aren't you? Uh, yeah, blushing. That's how you shot Mark That's how you shot Mark yeah. So there's James Brown. Other other extraordinary details that come out of that thing. There he is, the man. He, yeah, he invented everything. <laughs> he invented well, things. He didn't invent yeah. for a start, obviously. <laughs> you know, hip hop, funk, and so forth. Completely inconceivable without him. And yet, you know, when he took on his lawyer in the in the eighties, he had to get the lawyer to give him twelve thousand dollars for the job because he didn't have twelve thousand dollars. It's unbelievable, mm. isn't it? Really. Well, it depends. I mean, he's probably just enormously profligate, wasn't he? Just went out and... Spent it on Playboy. Yeah, spent it on, yeah. What, spent it on booze and women? Booze and women. The rest he wasted. <laughs> the rest he wasted, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. I think all. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Uh-huh.